Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 106 of the Speaking Club podcast. How many PR people does it take to change a light bulb? Three. One to change the light bulb, one to gather the press, and one to kick the ladder away to make it a real story. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining me again. I got to know uh, the guests that I've got on the show today because Angharad Massey and her company, Fearless PR, ran a recent campaign for my friend and client, Vicky Martin, who was a guest on the show in episode 66, I think it was. Now, Vicky had organised for a massive inflatable boob to be erected outside of Facebook's London HQ to protest about them blocking images of medical tattoos on cancer victims. And the campaign was a massive success. It was the second most watched news story on the BBC that day and was picked up by news outlets and blogs and all sorts around the world. And funnily enough, since that protest, Vicky hasn't been blocked once. And after that, I thought it would be cool to get Ang Harrod on the show so that she could share some of the secret strategies and tips that she uses to achieve that sort of success. Now, she started her own PR company at the age of 40 after being the director of PR for one of the world's biggest weight loss brands. And she is absolutely passionate about PR. But before I get into the show, I wanted to let you know about the fantastic toolkit that I've put together for you. It's called My Story Wizard, and it's going to help you find your personal stories and anecdotes, power them up with storytelling and humour tips, and share them powerfully with a simple yet powerful framework that I've put together. And if you want to connect better with your audience and increase their engagement with your message so that you can get more gigs and or sales, then you're going to love this. And the best bit, it's completely free. You can pick up yours at mystorywizard.com. Okay, let's get into PR. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, and Harrod Massey. Thank you very much for having me, Sarah. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm fascinated I'm always fascinated by all the people I talk to, but but your particular area of expertise is one that's really interesting, and I'd love to find out more. And I'm sure uh, lots of people listening will will have some questions about it too. So, tell me about your journey to what you do today, and then I want to tap into a bit later what exactly that is. Okay. Well, uh, if you'd have told me when I was younger that I was going to have a profession in PR, I, I, my response would have been, "What's that?" <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be an actress, um, but my parents uh, tried to persuade me to go to university first. So off I went to university and when I was there, decided that I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So my ploy was to stay at university for as long as possible. And three degrees later, I fell into journalism. 
Uh, and I thought, this this is quite nice. I like this. And then got offered a job in PR. And I, I can honestly say that when I went off to do my first job in PR, I, I didn't really know what that was going to involve. But anyway, I, I really enjoyed it and had a very fulfilling PR career working in in London in various agencies and in-house roles until I landed my dream job, which was head of PR at Weight Watchers. And I was there for seven years and absolutely loved it because I loved the brand. So I didn't have to PR yogurt pots anymore. I could PR something that I truly believed in. And and absolutely loved it until the day when, um, shock, horror, I was made redundant. And uh, I was horrified and thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do now? I I had two children and really did not know what what I would do and went off on a skiing holiday. I was 40 years old, went off on my first ski holiday and was absolutely petrified. I was petrified of the snow but I was also terrified of what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And it gave me the impetus and, and the, the bravery to just try it on my own. I didn't have a plan. I just thought, well, I'm going to start freelancing and I'll see what happens. And so I decided, ironically, to call the business Fearless PR because I'm petrified. Uh, and I really I haven't looked back it was the best thing that ever happened to me so you know it happens frequently doesn't it when people have this awful life experience like a redundancy they think how am I ever going to survive but actually it was it was what I needed to to start to do something that was really brave and really with no plan at all but I did really manage to do something that I absolutely love and I I would never go back now I think being able to run your own business as a working mum having to juggle everything I I don't know what I'd do if I had to go back in as an employee somewhere there we go that's my potted version I wish it was more thought through but it's all been slightly accidental and um, sheer determination and grit I think Well, that's good. There's a lot to unpack there. But the first thing I want to ask you is, who booked you a holiday that you were absolutely (laughs) terrified of? Well, do you know what I was about to say? I still hate skiing. And I've just (laughs) come back from my seventh ski holiday. Uh, I have a husband who loves skiing. I now have two sons who are absolutely fearless on the snow. And I, I still hate it. Everyone who knows me will say that I have this huge anxiety fear factor of skiing but I will not give up I just there's something in me that keeps thinking every year you know one year I'm going to strap those skis on and I'm actually going to enjoy it but it it hasn't actually happened yet it's good to think fear we're digressing slightly but I'm fascinated I love skiing what Um, what don't you like about skiing what is it like what happens I find um the lack of control terrifying And I also, I'm not very good with speed. I don't mind speed if I'm, if I'm not in control of it. I just don't like it. I, do, I find it absolutely terrifying. I can't relax. So I'm like a robot on skis. So I, I can get down virtually a red, but I just, everyone else around me is, is enjoying it. And I just, I just swear the whole way down. And then I just need a stiff gin at the bottom. But never mind the bottom. I always find a glue vine. I, I ski on Austria. Have a glue vine and your skiing improves Two is dangerous, but one glue vine, it'll just, it'll, you, you might surprise yourself. The fact that you keep going back is admirable for the, well, for the life just, of your family. I'm mad, I'm mad, but anyway. Okay. Uh, excellent. Well, let's just, uh, let's go back a little bit. So three degrees, interesting. It's like Diana Ross. 
You, are you a bit of an overachiever, I heard? No, I just, my first two degrees were pretty useless. I was, I did theatre studies because I wanted to be an actress. And then I decided I'd, I'd go and do a master's. So I did a master's in film and drama and then realised I didn't really want to be an academic because no one could ever understand what it was you were doing when they asked you what you did. A bit like now, actually, in PR. Uh, and then so that's why I ended up doing journalism because I thought I was quite a good communicator I loved reading I loved writing uh, and also there was a very good journalism school in my parents hometown of Cardiff <laughs> and I think they were fed up of funding me so they said well come come back and live at home and we'll we'll support you through journalism school and that was amazing that was the best course I've ever done really practical uh, and actually qualified you to go and get a job immediately afterwards, which my which my first two degrees unfortunately didn't equip me with. So I suppose now being a mum with two children, I think I'd try and try and encourage them to go for a vocational degree as early as possible rather than, you know, try and be an artiste. Do you know what though? I think actually having looked at your case studies and having looked at what you do. Those first two degrees plus the journalism actually set you up perfectly. There's always a thread that you can follow. And yeah, no, you're totally right. I'm, I'm probably being a bit harsh, but I, I think you never know, do you, as you grow up, what, what you'll take with you along the journey. And I definitely take quite a lot of the theatrics and the drama with me wherever I go. So, yeah, maybe it was money well spent after all. Exactly. There's lots of video work. It's very creative. And in Shakespeare's All the World's a Stage, and you are creating uh, drama in terms of what you do. So let's come back to PR then. In terms of what you do, how would you define PR for people? I think, fundamentally, PR is storytelling. So it's, it's all about working out what you want to say, what the key messages are, and how you make those messages really compelling to the specific audiences to which you've got to communicate to. That's all it is. And and that's all it should ever be. Because if you dress it up, you end up losing the whole purpose of what it is you're trying to do. Very much like journalism, but we're telling a story from a client's point of view. And you're doing it in order to engage with the audiences they need to communicate to. And ultimately, obviously, which is always very important, is they're always trying to make that sale at the end of it. So it's all very well being creative, but if it doesn't actually help to change behaviours in order to sell a product, then it makes it very difficult for PR agencies to justify their worth and their fee. So you've always got to keep that commercial imperative in mind. Uh, Otherwise, you're in danger of just being an actress it's it's all very nice to tell a story but you've got to tell a story in a way that delivers the goods at the end I love that there's a lot of synergy between what I teach people in terms of speaking and what you're saying in terms of PR because no matter how you cut it if you're in business or even if you're a speaker who is fronting an idea or a movement or a charity Hmm. you are selling you know, if you want people to take an action, whatever that action is, whether it's putting their hand in their pocket, whether it's changing their behaviour or looking at things even in a different way, you have to sell that thing to them. So that's really interesting that, you know, you come at it from that angle as well. And, and story is so powerful for achieving those things. 
I, lo- I mean, I love telling stories. I love, I love the creative aspect of it. But equally, what I love most of all is it's, it's almost like a, it, it's very strategic. You have to be really strategic because you have to understand what the client wants. But equally, the client is paying you to be able to deliver results in different channels, like media channels. So you also have to know exactly what the media wants if we're saying it's to generate coverage, which, you know, media relations is a big aspect of the job. So you almost have to marry up what the client wants and how you're going to achieve success for the client and also attract interest from the media. So it's this it's this mediation game uh, constantly. And, and the best clients are ones that understand that whilst you're providing a service, you're also an expert in your field. So they should be able to take counsel from you and trust you to be able to deliver the goods. It's, it's often quite a tricky process because I fundamentally believe that PR is much harder, much more strategic than, than advertising. Because in advertising, you're paying for commodity, you're paying for the airspace or the airtime, and, and the brand then can communicate whatever the hell they want, really, and they get the space and there it goes, it goes out there. Whereas with PR, we never pay for the space. It's, it's all editorial. So you have to be able to sh- work harder. You have yeah. to be able to find a reason why the journalist is going to want to write it or consumers are going to want to listen to it or see it. And that's what I love most of all. It's a, it's a, it's a huge challenge. And you have to think really quite beyond the boundaries and out of the box in order to generate content that will a achieve the column inches but also keep the client happy because if it doesn't communicate the key messages or if it doesn't deliver the sale it will still be deemed a failure in their eyes so I don't know if you read a book called trust me I'm lying by Ryan Holiday it's interesting it's all about sort of what kind of what you do it's along the line so it's how do you get that coverage how do you get something to go viral or I don't know it seems to me it's it's about finding the right angle the hook that is going to get them interested there's got to be something in it for them as well as something in it for your client and and, and finding that sweet spot where those two interests line up is seems to be what you kind of that's where the expertise lie for you is finding that sweet spot absolutely one of my old bosses actually in one of my first jobs who was one of my mentors always described it as a trojan horse yes now to do pr at its very best you take the commercial message but you have to wrap it up in a way that's really attractive to the consumer and i you know i always have that in the back of my mind it's all very well and good going out there to communicate those commercial messages but that's not how the journalist or the consumer is going to find it engaging. So you're constantly having to find clever ways to dress it up and, yes. and make it um, palatable for, for different audiences. And the other thing that I focus on with, with what I do is humour. And I think yeah. that also possibly could play a big part in what you do. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's Again, it's about making your content engaging. It's about telling a story in an engaging way. So humour is a key, a key part of that. So yes, it's, I mean, it, it isn't, it isn't lying, but it's about being, it's about being just really clever with, with what it is you want to say. And I think any performer, uh, whether that be a musician or a narrator or, or an actress or a comedian, they have to work really hard in order to get people's attention. And that effectively is what, that's what PR agencies and PR professionals do for, for brands. 
Yeah, I think sometimes in terms of summing it up, it's novelty and surprise. The story, the humour and the surprise. I think if you yeah. can put those all together, you've got like a winning combination, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's always, yeah, shock, sex. Sex is always great. <laughs> it's a story. But yeah, it's about finding a point of difference to, to really reach an audience. And sometimes clients get quite scared with that because, uh, again, lots of clients don't want you to lead on a negative. They want you to lead on a positive. But of course, you know, we've got one of the most cynical um, media in the whole of the world. And, you know, leading on a negative is always going to be much more effective than leading on a positive. You can make sure that you communicate the positive after you've had the negative headline. Um, And it's not saying that the brand is bad or or the brand doesn't work. But if you can, again, if you can wrap it up um, or use an oxymoron to help engage consumer and media in interest, then it's a way of being able to get your brand messages within, within the copy. So it's about playing with what you've got to make it most interesting. I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it, I think you'd love that book, by the way. I've mentioned it a couple of times. I've written podcast. it down. I've written do, it down. Do, do look at it because, I mean, he basically, he wrote the book to show up everything that was wrong in some senses in, in terms of the way that you get attention and, and everything else. Um, and it is very much, like you said, unfortunately, the way we're wired as human beings, fear and survival and is going to sell quicker than desire. But curiosity yeah. probably also, I think, is up there. But he kind of shone a light on all that was wrong. And everyone has jumped on and gone, oh, that's the way that you do it. That's really interesting. So it kind of like it backfired. And yeah. so I think you're absolutely right. It does, you've got to take a risk, I think. You have to be brave. You have yeah. to be brave and you have to be fearless and you have to be prepared to not take yourself too seriously so we were talking the other day about mcdonald's and greg's and how they have have you know they had a commercial issue a massive massive issues in their in their history where they've actually managed to build brand respect and empathy by tackling those issues head on you can't i think consumers are much more savvy these days they they're not just going to swallow positive messages i think brands who learn to adapt and take accountability for things that have gone wrong. Everyone is human, you know, no one's perfect. I think you have huge consumer respect for that. But again, you know, at the end of the day, I think you need to have cut through, you need to create brand personality. And and who wants to be, you know, just following everybody else? It's good to stand out. As humans, it's good to stand out, but also as brands, it's good to stand out. So again, as a good PR professional it's it's supporting clients to take measured risks I think it's really important it's important to learn and adapt in fact brands who who are happy to do test and learn approaches are much better than those who said well it's always worked this way and so we just want to do more of the same because nothing stays the same everything evolves so I think a calculated risk taking is can only be a good thing Absolutely. Good. We'll probably come back to that with a follow-up question that I have in a minute. But what I want to talk to you now about is you define three different key aspects of what you do. So building strategic partnerships, developing creative content and forging new media and key opinion alliances. What are they involved and why are those three different things important? Uh, They're just three examples of many different tools that we or approaches that we use I think they're all linked back to one key element though which is 
and again, if, we, if I use the analogy of what advertising is all about, advertising is when a brand tells you how great it is, and then you as the consumer can choose whether or not you agree with them. PR is, is all about convincing you or persuading you that the brand is great. And so in order to do that most effectively, you need to build your supporters in, so that they then can also tell you that the brand is great. So rather than the brand, just the brand telling you it's great, what if the brand's charitable partners said that they were great? Or um, you get journalists, you get friends, you get social influencers, you get experts, all to, to communicate messages that help reinforce that this brand is great. So in order to do that, you need to broaden your horizons. You need to work with friends, associates, colleagues, professors, experts, social influencers, bloggers, all these people who you hopefully as a PR professional have gone out and researched and they are relevant because they are talking to the audience that the brand wants to reach. And then you create content, engaging creative and content, which includes all these third party uh, experts and key opinion formers that, so that they have something compelling and new to say to help reinforce ultimately that the brand is great. And so therefore, if the consumer is hearing that the brand is great from lots of different platforms on lots of different levels, then surely the message will finally get through that this brand is great. And so that's what we do. You need to constantly find new ways of building relationships with credible third parties and work with them in a way that they can help reinforce your brand message. And then the brand can hero those third parties and the, all those key messages, which ultimately will keep reaching the consumer so that the consumer finally goes, gosh, I've heard that that brand is great seven times over the past fortnight from 15 different channels. I think I'll go out and give it a go. And that, that ultimately is what we do. So it's telling, it's telling stories, telling similar stories about the brand is great, but then working with lots of different credible parties to really help create this authenticity. And that is a really powerful word, I think, because everything that you need to do from a PR point of view should be about building authenticity and credibility for that brand. I love that. That's a great, a great explanation. So it's about building social proof, building super fans. And so what you said, I mean, what you said there applies to so many different things in terms of whether you're a speaker that wants to get on or whatever you do in your business or life, I think whether you're a charity, whatever. So what that tells me is that you are an expert at building networks and building social capital. Have you got some tips on that? I didn't plan to ask you this, but like that, that's basically a massive part of what you do, isn't it? Well, I, I think whatever you do in life, uh, I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about everyone. For everything we do is built on social currency, isn't it? So it's about having authentic relationships and interactions which help engage other people and ultimately get you want the that other person to like you and do the things that you want them to do you want to have a fulfilling and trusting and loyal relationship and that that is a two-way process I'm nice to you you're nice to me you'll help me get to where I need to go and vice versa 
you know, that that's the way that humans are, are wired. So I've got two teenage boys, well, one teenage boy and one, one 11 year old. And one of my huge passions in life is reading. And they're teenage boys. They don't really like reading that much. But my mission is to, rather than just nagging them, which I do frequently, to read a book, I'm trying to get them to understand why reading is the gateway to everything in life. And so I try to sit down and think of a way that I can reach them and engage with them about why it's important. And in order to do that, you need to find something that they like doing. You need to relate to, you need to relate it back to the person that you're talking to. And then you need to try and engage with them and communicate to them why reading is important. So it takes time to do that. Uh, You can just bash them with a stick and say, read them in the room and get them to read. But ultimately, that's not going to work. And that's the same way with with PR. And I think that's probably the same with many professions. You have to you have to sit down and you have to put some thought into what is it that I've got to communicate and how can I communicate it in a way that engages and is authentic? Because if you do that and, and if you hook in your consumer and, and you've done it in a creative and an authentic way, You've got them for life. They're your they're your brand keepers, and then you have to find ways to keep them engaged. And hopefully, that will be fairly easy because you continue to be authentic in the way that you communicate with them. And then hopefully, they then go out and they create more brand ambassadors because they talk about their fantastic experience. So it's all about reinforcing success and be and and making them feel good so for example when I was working at Weight Watchers that's a really good example because fundamentally the brand was there to help people lose weight Uh, now I've been a Weight Watcher all my life because I've always I've always been heavy so for me it was I, I was a total brand ambassador because I passionately believed in the brand but if you support people to lose weight and they lose weight and they feel great about themselves, then they are the best PRs for the brand because they'll go out and tell everybody that they've succeeded and then they get, that's the ultimate, isn't it? That's the ultimate strategy that you want. That everything, everything that everyone does in life, I think, should be authentic. Everything that you do in your day should be as authentic as possible because if you, if you feel fulfilled and satisfied and happy in whatever you do, then you come from a place of positivity, which will then engage other people. So, I mean, I'm not always happy and uh, fulfilled, but if you try and ensure that frame of mind, both professionally and personally, I think, then that will only hopefully engage other people to want to be in your frame of reference. I think there's some brilliant points there. I did have a thought, actually, whilst, whilst you mentioned reading. I think next skiing holiday... You take a load of books, <laughs> sit yourself, sit yourself in the lodge with some drinks, and yeah. let them ski. So there's a there's a perfect exactly yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you might be right there. <laughs> so um, so one of the things that you said is that you cannot buy. You're not advertising. You're not buying space, mm. but you do have to engage with influencers and opinion formers. How do you do that? How would you approach someone? That, you know, because that, like you said, if, if consumers are hearing it from their friends, from influencers on social media and all sorts, that helps to give them the confidence 
and also it's that status thing as well about trying that brand. So how do you go about building those relationships when you don't know those influences? <laughs> it's really hard. It's very time consuming. Uh, when I started in PR over 22 years ago, you know, that this, this, uh, this didn't exist. Influencers or social media influencers anyway didn't exist. And it's been something that we have become more and more involved in over time as their status and value has has increased. It's like looking for needle in haystacks, if I'm totally honest with you, because it's they're very difficult to find in the first place because there are so many of them. <laughs> but the value of them, and again, this is the same I would say for journalists as well, the value of journalists and the value of of influencers, I think, can only be measured most effectively by the relationship that you have with them. So if you have a really good trusting relationship, it's always going to be a successful two-way process. But that requires me to put in as much effort, if not more, than the person I'm trying to engage with. And I think that is the trick to a that separates a, a good PR from a fantastic PR. It's all based on relationships and trust. So when uh, clients ask us to find half a dozen social media influencers that we can work with on a particular campaign, it will always take us three quarters of the amount of time to find them and then probably a quarter of the amount of time after that to build content with them because we may have to find them and start building a relationship with them over many, many weeks before we understand whether they're going to be right or not for the campaign, I I believe anyway, because it's all very well going for social influencers who've got huge reach. So the client might be delighted because you found um, social influencers who've got, you know, 600,000 followers. But how many of those followers are the right demographic for the brand's audience and also how do they engage with that social influencer because you may may well have 600,000 followers but if nobody's liking or engaging in the content they're not even looking at, at the content that you're trying to create it is needles in haystacks but it's that the most important thing is building the relationship with the social influencer so that you know that they're going to work with you to create content that's going to really engage with the audience. That's brilliant. It is about, there's a lot of reciprocity. There's a little, a lot about like that trust thing is massive. So you, I guess you have to go in not expecting something and then try and get them engaged with the message really. Because yeah. if they become passionate about what it is, and I guess that's the, the needle yeah. in the haystack, it's finding someone who resonates with what your brand is trying to do yes. and the message. Yeah, Absolutely. so it's, it's about building authentic relationships is basically what you're saying isn't it yeah absolutely authenticity is key and and trust and that doesn't happen overnight either I mean one of the things that I felt really passionate about when I started Fearless was that having worked my way up in PR agencies for you know 15 years it really felt like it was juxtapositions where you have the low level staffers going in and they learn the ropes by doing all the you know the cold face stuff which is media relations it's pitching stories to media and then as you go further up the ladder you spend less and less time talking to media because you're you're doing client relations or budgets or whatever 
But to me, the most important job, the most important element of a PR's job is to build relationships with those key decision makers in the media and social influencers, because ultimately, that's where you're going to generate success for the client in terms of a media relations campaign. And all the junior reporters who I met 15 years ago, 20 years ago, are now key editors and key decision makers. So those relationships really, really come good. But they only come good if if you've invested time in them and they are authentic relationships rather than just, you know, I want something from you. Will you do this for me? And it really does come good when you're trying to pitch a story. Because there you you only pitch stories that you know are genuinely of interest to the, to the final reader. Um, and also you wouldn't waste your contacts time by trying to sell them duff stories. Yeah. So it's, it's just about respecting each other and respecting what each other need, which I think is really important, not just in PR, but in all walks of life. Yeah, no, it's absolutely my um, <laughs> funny story. My, my daughter started at Oxford in September. I thought they'd give up on school photos when you get to university, but apparently not. So she posed me, she said, mum, there's a photo of us all, you know, when they join Oxford, they have like a, a college photo. And she said, but it's like, it's, it's a lot of money. And she said, it's got their names underneath. And I said, I think, you know, that would actually be really useful in 10, 15 years, then you'll have a point of connection with these people. If you want to do documentaries, yeah. she goes, I'm not treating people like a commodity. I'm going to get everywhere on my own. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, it's just like, and it isn't about that commodity, but it is about having a point of reference and a connection that you can start the relationship on. So I think, I think she's bought into the idea now, but it's like, oh, this is just so idealistic. Yeah, I know what it is. And isn't it? That's that's the youth of today. (laughs) Anyway, good. It's not, it's not not cynical, but it's just, there is that sense of, community and belonging I think that everybody wants to feel part of something and if if you it's a bit like friendships isn't it yeah it might be a slightly different friendship because it's based on you know largely a working relationship but there's still that sense of belonging and and that that goes a long way I think yeah absolutely and those relationships you formed 15 years ago you've got a, a connection point exactly. and a reference point for exactly. for starting a conversation if, if nothing else exactly. cool so I want to talk bring you back to see this obviously this podcast is predominantly aimed at speakers or business owners and entrepreneurs that that you speaking uh, to market their product or service have you got any tips specifically for speakers or business owners for running a successful PR campaign? I mean, we've obviously covered a lot and people will take a lot from what you've said already, but perhaps the top three things that, that people should be mindful of. Yes, I think I touched on it before, but I think authenticity is key. So whatever you're trying to communicate for that brand, you need to make sure that it is totally credible and links back to the brand's USPs. So it's not, you're not there just to tell the client how brilliant their brands are. You have to be quite brave and you have to be able to see it for what, for its warts and all. But then you have to also realise that its, it's current consumer base is probably the richest territory to mine for information. So whenever we come up with PR campaigns, we always ask the client, for insight 
consumer insight from its current consumer audience because ultimately whatever you're trying to say about the brand to make it compelling to a new audience chances are that your current consumers have already said it far better and far wittier than an advertiser or marketeer or a PR because they say it in its honest and raw format. Consumers are clever chaps and chapesses and often something said in a tongue-in-cheek style or uh, in a humorous way encapsulates what the brand wants to say moving forward anyway. So I always try and spend as much time as I possibly can just going through whether that would be um, Facebook closed community, for example, or research when brands are trying to launch NPD, they often have consumers in to trial the product first. And so that's usually quite interesting to see, hey, what they think of the brand or what they think of the new products. So always trying to use content from within the brand first, rather than spending huge amounts of time and money to create new content, I think is, is always a, a good thing to do. And use your current customers as much as possible as well, because they are your brand ambassadors. They're your current brand ambassadors. And it, it's always more authentic if, if a consumer tells you how good a product is rather than if the brand tells you. So depending on how much money you've got to do a PR campaign, always try and use what you've got first before you suggest spending lots of money to create new research or new content. I love that. Some of the clients that I work with, the first place I go is testimonials because the language that is used defines the problem that they solve. And, you know, there's nothing better than using the language of the people that you serve to to get your message across, really. And also connect with other people that are like them. I think that's that's gold. Yeah, I'll give you an example, actually. This is a really nice way to reinforce what I've just said. We were, I won't mention the brand, but we were working um, on some content a couple of months ago and there was a TV programme with a lady on there who had referenced the brand that we were working for. Uh, We had nothing to do with her at all, but she was being interviewed and she was talking about, she has this clear vision of how how her day's going to go and then she'll go off kilter and she says, oh, I I often end up having a (laughs) snack-cident. And I just thought, oh, my God, I've never heard that before. And the brand loved it. And they said, oh, my God, we have to use this woman and we have to use Snaxident because I'd never heard of it. So we got in touch with her. It took us ages to get in touch with her, but we got in touch with her. And she ended up doing, being used to create some content on their own digital channels, talking about her Snaxident, because it was a really authentic way of saying, well, look, you know, sometimes we all go off kilter during the day and we have these little, you know, foibles and we'll end up eating, you know, 47 bags of Monster Munch. But it's okay, you can do that. <laughs> you, you know, it's always being in tune to using content or anecdotes that are already there you just need to find them that's brilliant cool and does public speaking fit into what you do at all absolutely yes I mean lots of different ways whether that's presenting at trade shows or whether that's pitching for new business or even if it's just talking to journalists on the phone and pitching you know your your media narratives we're public speaking all the time. And do you enjoy it? I love the sound of my own voice, Sarah. <laughs> I'm a frustrated actress. Uh, you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> That's why I do this podcast. <laughs> Although we've just moved house, as I said, 
and the dog is not enjoying the new he's like howling but now what we're doing is we're putting a whole run of my podcast on. Oh, lovely. <laughs> being quiet. So that's really yeah. that's a very good idea. So there you go. So if, if the dog loves my voice, if there's there no one else does. So. <laughs> Since you know public speaking is a big part of what you do, have you got any tips for people that, that you've found helpful with your own public speaking before we move on to some standard questions? I would just always say speak from the heart. If you if you speak authentically, you don't have to worry about whether you know your sh- If you know what you want to say and you're passionate about it, I think you'll always have a receptive audience. Love that. No, that's absolutely spot on. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. Good. Well, I, you've shared some amazing stuff and I've got some, I, I want to uh, share with people how they can get hold of you and find out more about what you do in Fearless PR. Um, but I have some standard questions. So the, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? To have more self-confidence and self-belief. As, as you get older, I think the gremlins start to creep in, don't they? And have you had like a, a worst gig? I always ask this for people because it just shows that, we, you know, we all have them and we can get over them and move forward. A client had asked me to bring a journalist along to one of our meetings so that they, the journalist, could tell the client a little bit more about what journalists do rather than me say what journalists do. And so I asked a good journalist friend of mine if they would do that. And they came along and they presented and the presentation was absolutely awful. I mean, absolutely awful hadn't prepared and uh, it was a tumbleweed moment and it reflected really badly on me after the event because I'd been perceived that I hadn't prepared adequately whereas obviously I couldn't tell a journalist how to prepare for a meeting it would have been that would have that wouldn't have gone down well but I think the learning from that was that's the difference between a journalist and a PR because a PR is constantly having to be accountable to a client and work hard to make what the client wants relevant to what the journalist wants. The journalist doesn't work like that. The journalist will pick up something that they find quite interesting, usually from a PR who's trying to suggest things to them, and then they will write it. And the only accountability they have is to their editor and obviously to their reader ultimately. But it's a totally different process. It's much less commercial and it's not presented in a way in the same way and so that was a big learning to me was never assume (laughs) never assume that that person is going to work as hard as as you to make something palatable to your client so it's a sort of vicarious bad gig (laughs) okay and Harrod what is the one book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why oh my god that's such a hard question Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'd probably have to say Jane Eyre because I remembered reading it at the same age as my my son is now. It was one of the first adult books that I'd read. And it just blew my mind that, you know, there were more books like this in the world that kids, you'd get get totally lost in. It it was the one that made me sort of almost never read a, a children's book again. I just, that was it then. I was totally flying into you know, the Hardys and the Austins and the Dickens. And I, I just loved it all. It was wonderful. That's what I'm trying to inspire in my children at the moment. But I'm afraid <laughs> they're still on Wimpy Kid. But this is better than nothing. But there we go. <laughs> That's lovely. And I'll put a link to Jada in the show notes as well. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever had and why? Just go for it. 
my God, you can spend all your life procrastinating at the top of that mountain going, oh my God, I'm not going down there. But uh, you have to do it. You have to be brave and you have to be fearless. Even if you don't want to do it again, you will have learned so much from that one terrifying moment. So yeah, this isn't a dress rehearsal, guys. We've got to We've got to do it. We've got to try our best. And if we if we don't succeed, then we will have learned something anyway. So yeah, point the skis downhill and just go for it. Exactly. <laughs> just have your glue fine first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really important. And a book in your backpack. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Last question then: If you could have one mentor, alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? I would probably choose my old boss from Weight Watchers, Lindsay Riser Weston, who I'm still in touch with, who I think is a phenomenal woman. And she just makes me laugh. And uh, I really look up to her. So if I can continue to have her in my life, I'd be very happy. Brilliant. Listen, and Harry, thank you so much for all of the wonderful things that you've shared. Oh, you're so that if people want to get hold of you, yeah, yeah I want you to speak after this. You know, you know, do some keynotes or or hire you to do the PR. Where's the best place for them to go? They can find my details on our website, which is www.fearlesspr.co.uk. Brilliant, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And do you work with international clients as well? We do. We work with international clients. We work with national clients, and we work with local clients. So we'll we'll work we'll work with anyone who'll have us. Presuming as long as you resonate with the message as well. I think you're quite discerned, yeah. <laughs> they don't take anyone. You've got to have some good stuff. And are you on social media as well? Yes, we have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. I don't know them off the top of my head. Shall I send them to you? And then yeah, we'll put them in the show notes for people to see them Lovely. And Harrod, thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. And I think you shared some amazing helpful things that are going to be relevant for everyone that listens in terms of how they manage business and you know promote business and all sorts of things so thank you very much oh you're very welcome thank you sarah there was some great stuff there and carrot was really holding nothing back and it's amazing how powerful authentic stories are for hooking your audience whenever you're trying to influence people Go and check out the Fearless PR website and you'll see that big boob there too. And you might even see me knocking around the boob too. I might regret using those words. Anyway, just want to say thanks again for joining me. I'd love it if you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or CastBox or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, if you're enjoying the show. It really does mean a lot to me. And don't forget to pick up your toolkit from mystorywizard.com so that you can start using the power of your stories too. Have a great rest of the week and don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. You don't need to waste more time searching for an answer when the most powerful tools to becoming a great speaker and growing your business are already in your possession, your stories. The trouble is that many people believe that either they haven't got a story to tell or that you need to be a natural-born storyteller to use them successfully. But neither of these things are true. Everyone has stories, and I want to help you discover yours and share them more powerfully with my new freebie, My Story Wizard. In three steps, it's going to guide you to find your stories, power them up with humour and other tricks, 
and share them in a way that connects with your audience and sells your thing. If that sounds good to you, then head over to mystorywizard.com and go and grab yours right now.